everyone, it's Naomi and welcome to the firecracker department. Welcome also to 2021 or 2020 fun as I'm calling it and I feel like after this you may as well. Let's get this year started right. I just want to thank you first of all. My heart is so full of gratitude for all of you because you know I may have started firecracker department but it's what it is because of you, because of your involvement, because of your commitment to this community, because of you supporting each other and bringing your love and energy and positivity and creativity, all the itties, all the itties you bring to Firecracker Department and I am so, so grateful. I'm gonna do a big, it's a, it's a love fest, who's kidding who? I love the Firecracker Department core team so much. They are, they are my family. They truly are, and uh, gosh, none of this would be possible without them. So if you're thinking, wow, Firecracker Department's really killing it, you make sure you put some love out there for the core members because they are working their butts off to make this community the special thing that it is, and I love them so much. So 2020 fun, what are you gonna do? This is my challenge to you, and I put it in our private Facebook group as well, which if you aren't part of, you should be. So 2020 fun, here's my challenge. I challenge you to do the thing that you've always wanted to do. What's holding you back? Let's jump in, let's jump in together. Put pen to paper, collaborate, um, have a coffee with somebody that may lead to the film that you're gonna make. Make that series, write that book, start. Just make one step towards starting that and take creative action. You know that's what we're all about at Firecracker Department. So once you've taken creative action and you're feeling good and you're feeling on track, then circle back and support somebody else in the firecracker department because that's how it's going to work. We're going to look after ourselves and once we have put on our mask, so to speak, we're going to look after other folks. So make sure you circle back and make this community the magical, amazing thing that it is because it is what it is because of you. Truly, it gets way better when you're around. So. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you! Ugh, my hands were up for that. You can't see that and I didn't knock the microphone because I'm a professional, but thank you! Okay, let's get to our episode. Oh boy, this week on the podcast, we have our very first sound designer and composer. Yes! Oh, I'm so excited. We have Nanita Desai. When we first started Firecracker Department, I always had the goal that we wouldn't just do people in front of the camera. I wanted to talk to firecrackers from all different sides of the industry. And this is such a step in that direction. I was so excited to speak to Nanita. Nanita's worked on documentaries, film, TV, commercials, musicals, video games. Oh my gosh, I'm almost lost for words. Can you hear that? I have to calm down, I'm so excited. I just so enjoyed speaking to Nanita and she's just got so many amazing and diverse credits. I had this chat with her, she's in England and I'm in Canada, and behind her on the Zoom you could see all the different musical instruments that she played, it was so beautiful. She also had her keyboard and her monitor and she was just like in this cool, hub of creativity. It was so awesome. And Nanita has been nominated for a stunning amount of awards, including Royal Television Society and British Independent Film Awards. She has scored countless BAFTA, Oscar, Emmy acclaimed productions, including 2020's For Sama. Her most recently released project is the Sundance Doc Audience Award winning The Reason I Jump, an immersive film exploring the experiences of non-speaking autistic people from around the world. 
She's not just a creative artist, she is an activist. She is a yes person. She is a we can do it person. She's, she's everything, obviously, I'm a fan. This film, The Reason I Jump, just came out this past Friday along with the first single and music video. You can follow the film at Reason I Jump Film to hear the music and find out where you can watch it. It looks incredible and I cannot wait to see it. Now, I mentioned all the instruments she had behind her when we were speaking. She studied the sitar, piano, guitar, tabla, singing, and violin, um, keyboard. I mean, she could probably pick up any instrument in the entire world and figure it out. That's the way her brain works. She did the title theme for the prestigious BBC Royal Wedding with Meghan and Harry. Come on! She's worked with Tori Amos, Sinead O'Connor, Peter Gabriel. I mean, it feels like she's worked on every kind of project there is and has used every genre of music along the way. She doesn't just stay on one path, she diversifies and that makes her just such an incredible artist. She's in demand and people are clamoring to not only do workshops with her because she's also such a beautiful teacher, but to work with her, obviously. She teaches master classes, sits on juries for the Emmys, the BAFTAs, and more. And I mean, her composing work alone, I just feel so, the word, the word's overused, but I just felt so blessed that she had time to speak to us in the firecracker department community. She is an absolute, firecracker and I am so excited to share this new chat with you in this new year. Here we go, 2021, 2020 fun, we got this and we're kicking it off with a wonderful, amazing, talented Nanita Desai. I guess the way that I express myself, the way that I can tell stories is through music. Um, I mean, I, I grew up loving film and music and I was born and brought up in London, and my parents are British Indian, and so I was born and brought up here. And my so at home I was brought up as a, uh, a British Hindu, going to the temple on Sundays, and I really mm -hmm. fought against that. And and school, I actually went to a Church of England school, so I had this very eclectic upbringing, learning in the the, the strict rigidity and discipline of Indian classical music all yeah. the baggage that that brings and then at school I used to sing in school choirs church choirs and I had my own pop groups at school and I learned the violin and the piano and I was immersed in music and at school I set up a film club and that was a it was a way for me to get the school to pay to rent videos of the latest movies so that I could watch them for free with all my friends at school and and I yeah I have a degree in mathematics and at university I became the student newspapers uh, film critic so I used to get to go to all the, the special private screenings right. that all the film critics went to in these private cinemas yeah. in Soho, these dusty old cinemas, uh, at sort of mid-afternoon screenings of the latest, latest movie, and then report on them back for the, for the university paper. That's where my love of film, well, from a very young age, my love of music came about. The ability and the power of music to make you feel something, that, com that magical combination yeah. of film and music is is so special and it captivated my interest from a very young age yeah you said something about um uh, something about the like baggage that you had um because what a dichotomy of an upbringing you had not only musically but religiously and ethically and everything can you tell me a little bit about 
how that fed your creative self. I was always the geek, the, the tomboy. You know, from a really young age, I used to play with cars yeah. and and Lego and Mac yeah, me too. And uh, and I was always breaking things and fixing things and playing with video games. And I I never conformed. I was never the, the daughter that my mother wanted me to be, which was someone that would yeah. you know, play with dolls and and put makeup on and uh, and cook right. and clean and and conform and um so i was i was the odd one out uh, film and music was that escapism mm. for me that was my creative outlet i i sort of didn't quite fit in i was it was like the outsider the the other yeah. uh, at school and as a teenager and so it um i i was i had a lot of pressures as a child to become with cultural pressures a conform sure. being what my asian upbringing says i should do i have this huge extended family and i was had to go to these big indian weddings and i thought i don't want to be here i just want to be you know, <laughs> making music and i was a geek i i in the nicest yeah sense of the word i loved technology and computers and but i went to an all-girls school so there was these strange contradictions where my friends were girls yeah. and you know i i had never encountered boys and it was it was just a real mashup of craziness yeah. and um but that formed who I am and I had my mother was very creative my father was very much into science you know I I, I don't belong to a religion you know and I sort of pushed away from all that but I explored a lot as I was growing up I was really interested mm -hmm. in Hinduism and Christianity and and Buddhism and and in fact one of my my, my big interest in Buddhism at the time when I was in my uh 20s uh, early 20s actually landed me my first big break in in the film industry oh. which was um this bernardo bertolucci film little buddha i talked my way into that film by pestering the the, the wow. sound editor the sound team and so you you've got to employ me because i know everything there is to know about buddhist chants and uh, of course i didn't but it was an excuse for me to <laughs> to learn and grow right. and, and help and be a part of the film industry so um blag my way into into jobs a lot um i uh, think I think you're I think that when you said like I, I was trying to conform to like what your parents want, whether or not your parents speak up about that kind of conforming, I think it's always present. Like I think a lot of people when they say I'm gonna go into the arts, all the parents are like, please, please don't, please choose yeah. anything else. Oh, oh, and I, so you're yeah. trying to and, and we have something in common. My mom was in the arts and my father's an organic chemistry professor. My father so studied I, chemistry in India. He came here to do a degree in um, be a biochemist. It didn't quite work out for him that way. I mean, he has got his qualifications, but he ended up doing something totally different. And my mother wanted to come to London. She was brought up in South Africa. She came to London when she in, in the 60s, in the swinging 60s, when she wanted to be a hairdresser and, and she loved the Beatles. Right. And, uh, and she was very um, independent and wanted, uh, loved music and loved film. And, and she was the one that yeah. introduced me to, you know, the arts and, and music right. and, and film. And, and as a child, she's, they used to take me to the local cinema, which had all these, these big 
Bollywood movies. Mm -hmm. Those were my earliest memories of, of film. I, one of the reasons I did a degree in maths was because I felt this incredible pressure to conform and think, well, I need, you know, you know, you need to have something to fall back on. And I gave myself this five-year plan. And I think I, I've never had a real job my plan, my five-year plan worked out. But even now, for many years, my parents used to say, when are you going to get a real job? Right. And now it's, you work too hard, you know? Right. <laughs> it's a case of, I love my work and I don't see it as work. I'm so with you. So, yeah. But now there's so many people that deal with that kind of um, pressure to, I don't know, choose a path that might be more secure. How do you think that helped you not choosing that path? So you went through the math thing, but then you probably, you know, you're always attached to your the film industry and filmmaking. Yes. What would you say to that kind of um, debate that people have inside their head? I think you have to be, you have to be true to yourself. For me, there was no alternative. I, I couldn't do anything else. I and, I, and especially in the last year with uh, with what's going on with, you know, the pandemic and COVID and all of that, I think it's made us all hopefully reevaluate our priorities in life. And I mean, I've been doing this yeah. for over 20 years now, and I, I'm very fortunate in that I don't have to do anything else. But But it wasn't easy. It was very tough for me because I was... Mm -hmm an Asian woman, a rarity in this industry. Um, I mean, there are very few female composers. Um, the statistics are, are pretty dire. Um, you know, something like 2% yeah. of the top uh, 100 films in, of the year uh, have been scored by women. Um, so right. there are very few women in the, it's a very male dominated area that I work in. But the funny thing is, is that I've always felt comfortable working around men. And I've always seen myself from the inside out, not from the outside in. And, oh, and yeah. tell me more about that. Well, Tell me more about that knowledge. That's a, that's a great perspective. You know, looking back on my career and life that people, you know, we like to put people into boxes, you know, in terms of stereotypes and, you know, you need to, you are what people think, you become what you, um, you think people want you to be. And so people see me as this little Asian woman um, who's probably a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant <laughs> and and I've and I've never been that and only recently realized what people must see when they look at me and in my early days uh, in my career my I had a writing partner and uh, we worked together a, a white man and we used to uh, we started working to the, together because I didn't have the confidence to do mm. this. I didn't, I never thought that this could, this would be something that I could make a career out of. And right. so, mm -hmm. um, so we, he, he gave me, uh, Malcolm gave me the confidence to, to believe in myself. And mm. so we used to go to business meetings and, um, because I was into the technology and, and did all the engineering and the producing, um, he's, uh, we used to get asked questions and uh, in the interview and, and all the questions used to be directed to him and he would be taught by saying, well, I don't know the answer to that. Why didn't you ask Nanita? And sure right. enough, I'd open my mouth and suddenly they saw, oh, I 
think she knows what she's talking about. And, right. and so then the conversations would get deflected. And it used to drive me crazy. And, and both of us, and I, I, know. And I really appreciate uh, what he did for me. And now we're now married. Um, <laughs> and, uh, oh, that makes uh, sense to me. <laughs> I was like, that sounds like a fantastic guy. <laughs> a great, a great sort of um, collaboration and, and a business partnership. Mm -hmm. And but we don't work together anymore. For the sanity of our relationship, we decided, okay, because I grew, and I really um, grew and flourished and yeah. uh from those early days and so uh, we decided to part ways um business wise but he's still, <laughs> still, my, he's still but we but we live together so he's right. still you divorced kids. you divorced business wise but you stayed yes. together romantically i think that's a good choice <laughs> i get it i work with my husband too and it's not easy yeah, so I, I'm in my studio and he's in the house and we, we both work from home, but I'm very fortunate in that I'm in the back garden. And um, and so he's yeah. my he's my exec producer. And every now and again, I'll bring him in. I'll say, you know, he'll be working away on his thing. And I'll say, well, what do you think of this piece of music? And he'll say it's invariably say it's rubbish. And I'll we'll start an argument. I go, okay. this is why we don't work together. Because <laughs> yes, <laughs> but, but it's I know because he'll he'll come it's I mean, good. amazing perspective, objective perspective on something, mm -hmm. and then I'll defend it to the nth degree, and then he'll uh, walk away and go away, and I'll say, well, actually, he's right. <laughs> so, uh, uh. so it's it's a really, it works very well. It's a it's a very good yeah. partnership, and, and he's my soundboard, I you know, because yeah. there's this running joke with composers that we're, you know, all this lockdown and COVID, you know, it, it does, it's not made the slightest bit of difference to what I, I know. <laughs> Did I you even know there was COVID? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's been pretty awful, you know, in terms of the, how it's affected the industry, but I've been very fortunate. Yeah, of course. That yeah. I've been working um, very hard and uh, I've had a lot yeah. of projects uh, come my way over the last um, 10 months. So, so it's been fine there, but um yeah it's um mm. it's I, I you know we need um i work in a very isolated way because when you're creating you're very mm -hmm. uh, you're very alone and you can start festering in your insecurities and doubt and yeah and uh yeah tell me how you get out of that because i think that's a typical thing that people go through and i remember seeing an article about you saying like when you when your creative tank is full and you need to get out into the world, which is not easy right now because of COVID. Mm -hmm. So how do you get yourself out of the spiral of self-doubt and self-criticism? If I have a, a, a creative problem, then I'll sleep on it. Instead of hammering away, trying to make it work, it's amazing what a good night's sleep can do. And I'll wake up and I'll think, yeah. I know exactly what to do to solve this problem. Uh, in terms of writer's yeah. block, there is no such thing as writer's block. The more you do, a little bit like the 10,000 hour rule, you know, I think the more you do something, yeah. the more you train the brain to, to write and produce, the, the better you get at something. You know, 20 years ago, it used to take me a week to write a piece of music that I thought was any 
any good and now I can probably write that same piece of music in half a day so yeah it's, it's muscles it is it is it's it's mm -hmm. just muscles and and practice and and in fact if I go on holiday which which is rare for me I take I take small periods of time out so I like I love to travel that's one way mm -hmm. for me to to broaden my horizons I love experiencing all culture and art in in its different forms um, but I do travel a lot and that's something that mm -hmm. I've really missed this year I go to you know I'm always off to film festivals and and I and I try and combine work with trips abroad um, yeah. working with musicians and and combining that with uh, time out and seeing seeing a city or a country from the from the inside from the people that I'm working with or, or mm -hmm. that's um that's incredibly nourishing for me yeah and and along your journey did you ever doubt your path did you ever think ah I'm gonna go do some math <laughs> I don't know I don't know the first thing about math, obviously, but did you ever doubt your path as a composer? I did. I mean, I, I didn't start off as a composer. And so my first few years, I, I never thought I could have a career or make a living as a composer. Mm -hmm. I was a late developer mm -hmm. in that sense. You know, I, I was working as a sound designer on feature films. It was a stable career. I thought I could, you know, I, I mm -hmm. was really enjoying it, but it reached a point where my creative ambitions were always my roots were always in being in, in music and I and I thought mm -hmm. I can't do this uh, I can't be a sound designer for the rest of my life so I broke away from mm -hmm. I remember getting offered a job um, it was that feature film Elizabeth by with starring Kate Blanchett yeah yeah and I got the phone call and I made the most ludicrous statement at the time I thought mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I can't accept the offer because I'm now a composer. And just saying those words out aloud, um, yeah, was it that that was the line? Yeah, the and yeah. and and then I was out of work. I had no work for three. Right. Years. <laughs> right. And uh, so, and I think it's it's a case of making that mental switch where you think I am now a professional composer though I didn't have a penny yeah. to my name. So I sent off a showreel and, and contacted a yeah. hundred companies in this di in this directory, this film Bible, and yeah. contacted every company I could, and I got a response from two of them. And yeah. that was it. That was that was this that was the beginning. And so I lived in my lived in my parents' home and I was sleeping on the living room couch. It was it was tough, but were you were you happy? Were you did you feel like you were on the right path, or were you able to see that perspective? I I was on the right path. I mean, of course, mm -hmm. you have your doubts and and insecurities, and and I also had and and still have to a certain degree uh, imposter syndrome, and that's and I yeah. only realized recently that it's something that afflicts so many composers and so many everyone, composers. every artist. But like, yet, I don't think an artist doesn't struggle with that. 
Yeah, and but it, I think it's it's interesting that only now in the last year that people are addressing these issues of well-being mm -hmm. and imposter syndrome and um, and going through tough times because of COVID. So you know, in some sense, the pandemic has brought to light all these issues facing us as you know human beings and that we it's okay to not be okay because at heart i'm actually british uh, i am british um right the, the british have this yeah, you don't talk about that as british people we like the british folks don't, don't talk about that we don't talk about it no we have this no. stiff upper lip we don't talk about our feelings yeah so we're le we're learning <laughs> we're learning and i think you know yes. it's, it's this year is yeah. it has accelerated that um introspective look into ourselves i think and um yeah. and what's affecting the industry yeah. all my musician friends and composers have have lost all their work overnight you know so many right. musicians have been affected by this and and as a response i set up this directory to help composers and to help musicians so basically Amazing. two days two days after lockdown happened i got a call um of being offered a project for netflix a documentary feature which is out now it's called american murder the family next door and netflix said we want a live orchestral score and i said i'm sorry that's not going to be possible because all the musicians were shut down yeah studios were shut down and so i then um thought well the only way that i can give them what they're asking for is to do everything remotely so right. pretty much the way we're communicating now via via zoom i needed to find musicians that could record themselves professionally in their homes of course yeah uh, it's called remote recording and I set up a Google spreadsheet that I spread through social media to um, uh, find musicians. And within four days, 350 people had signed up to it, which is a huge what? number of people in, in the States and in the UK and through Europe. And I, and I did it because I, I got calls from all my, as soon as lockdown happened in March, all my fr our musician friends emailing me saying, Nanita, we've lost our work. All our tours have been cancelled. Mm -hmm. What can we do? So I did it as a response to that. It became so big that I set up a website called uh, the Remote Recording Directory. And within uh, three weeks, we had sort of over 700 people uh, signing wow. up. So singers, guitarists, violinists, orchestral players, recording engineers, mixers, you name it. And so it's this great database that's now free for musicians to uh, try and get work from it and, and register yeah. themselves for free, put their details on there and, and for composers to find musicians. And so that's yeah. kind of how I found uh, the musicians for my, for my Netflix project. It's a, a, date, a permanent database that's available for any composer or musician to, to sign up it. to. And um, I love that so much. That's, I mean, but you could have just said, I'm sorry, we can't do it. Or you could have just called the six people that you know that have yes. um, home studios. But instead, you reached out to your community and created this amazing community builder. Yes. Where, where does that come from for you? Why is that important to you? 
I know that it what it was like for me starting out in this industry and it was really right. tough. I had no role models. I had no female role models. Right. I think there are only yeah. two female role models. I, you know, Barbara Streisand and Kate Bush and Laurie Anderson, yeah. three. Oh. I mean they I'm I'm game. <laughs> and I mean there are very Those few, are great role models. But they're not they're not even composers, film composers. I mean, they're all the right. male compo all the composers I knew of were all dead white men. Yeah. You know? <laughs> or, uh, or, <laughs> well, or why is that? Why do you think it's such a male-dominated community? Um, mm -hmm. To be a composer, you have to be, especially in the last 25, 30 years, you have to be comfortable around technology. Uh, and women, there are plenty of female singer-songwriters out there. We don't have a problem there. But it's actual composers where we have, there's a huge shortage. And mm -hmm. I think that universities and colleges uh, with students, uh, you just traditionally, you've, it's always been a male-dominated area. And so I, over the years, uh, I, I was being contacted by so many young female composers. And so I got asked to give a talk at a university and that led me to being offered a job. And, I, and so I think it's important that, you know, being the only Asian female composer, female film composer in the UK, yeah. that um, I think it's important to give back to the community I give talks at universities and and it's wonderful there was there was one vic victorious moment for me I remember about five years ago when I was at um, the University of London gave a talk to the music degree students and they were all piling into the room and there was one young man he was 18 years old six mm -hmm. foot five young black man and he came in with an attitude when he when he saw me and he came up to me quite brazenly said yo miss are you taking this class and uh, i said yes i am thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and at the end of the, I, I could tell that he was going to be he needed to be won over and at the end of the right. two hour class he came up to me and he said, yo, Nanita, I want to do what you do. And he was wonderful. And I just, yeah. it, it just meant so much to me to, to confound people's images and, and yeah. stereotypes, you know, and that's one of the reasons why I do what I do. I get so much joy and pleasure out of changing yeah. attitudes. It's just, yeah. it's a, the most wonderful feeling. And, uh, and I get contacted yeah. by a lot of men now as well. And I think that's, it's just, we're just trying to tell stories through music and yeah. Music, you know, music has no, you know, composing music has no gender. It has no agenda. Uh, I've had people say to me, well, can you write action music? I thought, well, why wouldn't I be able to write action music? No, I can't. I'm a lady. I can't do that. And, and so there is this <laughs> attitude that women can only write, female composers can only write delicate period. Romance. Travels. Yes, romance. Yeah. It's, yeah. I think this gender terminology we put on, you know, masculine music has to be, you know, hard action music as opposed to delicate floral music um so i think we're finally 
showing that music has no gender, you know, and I, I think that's a wonderful yeah. thing. And, no. uh, and I think there's now a huge movement in the industry with female filmmakers yeah. uh, in front of the camera, behind the camera. It's just very refreshing to see that certainly in the UK, um, things are really yeah. improving. It feels like you have a stronger, like a level of responsibility for the next generation. Do you, do you carry that? I must admit, I, I do. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> I do carry that. I think it's important. I have, I feel a sense of responsibility, not in a way that I feel I'm being, that I'm showing off. It's really important because I had mm -hmm. no one when I was growing up. And, and I know how I desperately mm -hmm. yearned for it. And, and I feel that um, I've, you know, spoken to, to young women coming up at conferences. And, and, mm -hmm. and that's, you know, I love going to film festivals and, and doing these things because people come up to you and um, they need encouragement. Uh, what more can I mm -hmm. say? I mean, who doesn't? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and yeah. I think more than, I think the only thing I wish for is I wish men would be championing women more because yeah. it would amplify the impact so much more if it came from men as opposed yeah. to having this uh, women, uh, women's groups and women's this, women's that, you know, women in film and TV and WIFT and all these organizations. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. That's really great. And we need that. Um, mm -hmm. Women need to support women. But I think it also has to come from men as well to have, have double yeah, the amount of agree. I mean, we need to make our own clubs where we have the power and the, and the leverage to do our own yes. projects. But uh, and, you know, to see women as decision makers, giving other women opportunities. Mm -hmm. But one thing that I'm very much against is tokenism. You know, whatever field you're working in, you know, as a composer, I, when I'm going for a job, I want to be judged on the merits of my work and not because, oh, let's give her the job because she's a woman. I think mm. that is very wrong. Yeah. Oh, it's insulting. I mean, I know that you speak about how, I mean, you've, you've got a, quite a good presence so in social media and I know your web design, which isn't something that um, a lot of artists, I don't know, hold as a priority. Uh, and I remember hearing you say that if people don't know about you, how will they know about your music? How is your relationship with social media and, you know, like the technology behind communication into your community? I know nothing about TikTok. <laughs> You know, don't give me, yes. No, I'm. I'm actually very. I'm very. Only joined social media actively in the last two years, I would say, and mm -hmm. I've noticed it. It it saps the energy out of you, and um, and yeah. I. I mean, I am on it a fair amount, but I actually don't like the psychology behind it, and. Mm -hmm. um, and how it can affect you. But I think it's an incredible tool yeah. if you know how to use it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, when you talk about if people don't know you, how will they know your music? And we're in a time that there are no live performances. So how are people going to know about these fantastic female composers that you know and non-binary com composers that are worthy of bringing to the next level? Yeah, well, I mean, th this is a problem that's affecting all not just composers, but but artists, all all performing artists. What with you know the lack of live performances over the last year is one thing, but 
thing that's been happening to the, in in the music industry is like a broken record um and there's a broken record hashtag the insidious problem with music and creators not being valued um and and, and the battle against the yeah. big corporations like spotify and the record labels and apple and, and streaming and it's happening in the film industry but it's it's hit the music industry very very hard uh it's something that needs to be fixed it's impossible to make to sustain uh, make a sustained living out of creating music and performing music that's something that need desperately trying to address in the industry um it's um, yeah. it's it's very tough and so we have to find new ways of monetizing or making uh getting exposure and getting out there bandcamp is is a wonderful thing but um social media is great i think you know and, yeah. and so now as a as an artist you know you're you're bypassing the record labels and you're having to do everything in your own little ecosystem you're having to be a performer you're a manager you're your own uh, publicist film editor everything uh, home you know yep. music videos the the whole attitude of um, sex drugs rock and roll in the 70s and the <laughs> 80s is gone because it's gone really, yeah it's business um yeah and, and it's sex drugs rock and roll business film editing sound editing Yes. it's a longer list yeah yeah it's yeah yeah so it's it's a lot of responsibility on the on the artists coming up today you know it's it's about data and metadata and uh thinking of ingenious ways to market yourself using using social media yeah yeah and i know that one of your um beliefs is that you want to compose things to make people feel and I'm so curious to know, was there a piece of music that you heard that hit your heart in a way that you were like, I want to do this? Like, I, I know there's sometimes for me when I'll be watching a movie and the combination of the images and the music is just the thing that hits your heart. The last one was a movie called About Time. And um, there's a Canadian singer songwriter uh, called Ron Sexsmith that had a connection. And it was honestly like I just burst into tears. Do you remember the experience for you when something happened that just set your heart on fire? There's so many. I mean, I, okay. I, I was a sucker for the Spielberg movies like um, Raiders of the Lost Ark and yes, and yes, encounters and those those sweeping uh, melodies. I loved John Barry's scores. Um, uh, the Bond scores, you know, the Bond movies, you know, that. Period. Oh, yeah. But uh, I think in sort of recent times, I was incredibly moved by uh, Gladiator, the film Gladiator. Really? Music yeah. Gladiator. Um, Thomas Newman scores American Beauty is just mm -hmm. exquisite. And I think, you know, I mean, I, there, there's so many moments of sort of film and music inspiration touch points yeah. for me. Um, countless. I, I remember um, there was one that Al Pacino film, Sea of Love, and uh, Havana with Robert yeah. De Niro, uh, Robert Redford. Um, that that Cuban music. So so it's it, it's the um, it's the marriage of music and film. Agreed, Tar yeah. Tarantino's movies, uh, you know, Reservoir Dogs, and the the use of music was so clever. Uh, I mean, recently I've really been inspired by Nicholas Brutal's music for. Uh, Moonlight. I recently took a course in uh, unconscious bias training because uh, I was okay. and uh, as every member of the jury 
has to take this uh, two-hour course in unconscious bias training and that I thought I knew I I mean I consider myself to be very liberal and tolerant and open-minded I thought that I thought I knew myself and I realized that I I am a victim myself of unconscious bias I don't realize it but I looked at that young 18 year old black boy uh, that I was lecturing to and I had my preconceived ideas about him and and we all do you know there's there's a form of as he did of you. Of course, yes. But we're not aware of it. And so I think if we're made to be aware of our unconscious biases, then we can do mm-hmm. something about it. So I remember going to see uh, yeah. Moonlight. I read about it and I had to go to this screening of the film, pouring with rain, cold November evening. And I was stressed and tired and I thought, oh, I'm not in the mood to see Mm -hmm. this film. I read the two line, um, the strap line for the film Mm -hmm. was about um, working class black people in uh, the tenants in, um, in Miami's in the 1980s. And I thought, I know what this film is going to be about, and I'm going to be depressed, okay? Right. (laughs) You've already chosen that. I'm not sure I want to put myself through this this evening. And I watched the film. I came away thinking this film is transformative. And and I was just crying with joy at the end of it. And I'm so pleased that I saw it. And so, I mean, I'm always trying to push myself um, to study other cultures and and you know and I, I consider myself to be very liberal but this film really was uh, a breath of fresh air and much needed and I'm so pleased it won the Oscars. Um, yeah but just being conscious of your unconscious I think is such an important yes. note because I mean we all do it but if you say it out loud, if you say, I'm going into this movie, I think I'm going to be depressed, then you can kind of put it aside and just let the movie yes. affect you. Yes. Yeah, that, that's such that, a great, thank you. That, that's what I love about film is that it has, and it has for me through my whole life, mm-hmm. has this ability to transform uh, my my views of the world and for me to mm-hmm. learn about the world and to learn about other people in different areas you know in different areas of life in so many ways uh, if you're open to it if you're open to it yeah so that's what i think it's a it's a reflection of the world film and television is is a reflection of the world and for me it's the the most powerful art form i think yeah i feel like and and i mean my my background is in is in comedy. So my brain works comedically and I feel like your heart beats like in a, in a, like a metronome, like when you are, and it's such, it's such a new world to me, but when you're composing something, like, are you just walking around until uh, like a string of notes hit you and then you write it down or how, how is the, the thought process for you? How does the muse strike? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know how it works with comedy. I see something funny and I elaborate on it in my, in my mind and, or I think, why, why does somebody wear something like that? And then I paint a picture of that character. I understand that process, but the process of 
of the moment of inspiration to a full composed piece of music is really unknown to me. It's a big question. <laughs> no, but the, the funny thing is, is that I don't know where it comes from. And I think if mm. the more you do something, the more you think, mm, maybe I can analyze this and deconstruct it. And it's like when I'm when I'm asked, uh, quite often I'm asked to emulate a different uh, someone's style or a different style of music. Can you right. write? Can you write a piece of music like such and such a piece or you know such a style? Yeah. And um, and so what I do is I listen to the music, and I will analyze it and deconstruct it and think what makes this piece of music such an amazing piece of music oh. or what are the instruments and the sounds that i that i can use to create this piece of music to to create this mm -hmm. style if i'm asked to copy something i hate that word copy sure. or plagiarize or pay homage to let's be complimentary here and um yeah uh, right it's still copying yeah so so <laughs> in the past i've been asked to do that and and so you can in a very technical way you can analyze something and then reconstruct it but i think in terms of initial inspiration generally i think it's it's really is a case of just sitting on sitting next to my keyboard my piano and just playing notes and thinking mm until until i think over the years i've developed a sense of being able to self-edit the crap out right. <laughs> right that's what that's the difference between an amateur and a professional in any profession i think the ability to self-edit uh, and think have a hundred ideas and think 99 of them are rubbish yeah that there's that one kernel of an idea which I think could be developed into something reasonable, and I, yeah. I and that's that's what composing is, or or even writing, or, or you know creating anything really anything creative. Oh my Speaking of being a comedian, if I came back in another lifetime, yeah, I want to be a comedian because I think it's the no hard, It's the hardest thing to do is to make I love that you're laugh. choosing the hardest thing it is and I wish like I wish I could make people laugh you know it's the one thing I wish I could do to yeah, be able I to mean, tell a joke well no I think see this is my theory about comedy is that it's like what you were talking about before that it's a muscle like you know the stories that you tell at a party that is a surefire hit you know those stories and it's nurturing those muscles so that you're doing that. Like, you know, I was at Second City and we we were doing improv six nights a week. You're gonna get better at six nights a week. But I think everybody's funny. I think you're, you've probably got a great, and also like it's, it's similar to, um, like improv is like jazz. It's like listening to your partners and feeding off each other. So I, I think you'd be great. I think you should change directions entirely and go into comedy. <laughs> well, you know, composing is improvising. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's not like being a musician where you have music put in front of you, but being a composer inherently you are like a jazz musician. You have to be able to improvise yeah. because from a very you know from the age of nine or ten, I would make up my own tunes all the time. That's what I did. And so yeah. I, in that regard. I was born to be a composer. Yeah, I was always wanted to. You be really a were. Oh, that's because. That's and I'll tell you, 
to to echo that <laughs> adventure when i was taking piano lessons at the age of i don't know 10 12 young i pretended to compose heart and soul and so he said i'd like you to compose something i played heart and soul and he said I think that's heart and soul. So I was actually nurturing the comedy muscle in my brain very early on by telling him that I'd composed it. There you go. There we go. There you go. I mean, there's both such a level that are very similar. Both improvisers are yeah. yeah. And I know I, I have to, I hate, I'm so enjoying speaking with you. I really could speak to you forever. There's so many, I have so many questions in my head still. There was one of the quotes that you had you were talking about like David David Bowie had said that I want to go further out of my depths into water, and when your feet aren't touching the bottom, just about to um, that's when something exciting happens. And yes. I know that resonates with so many artists, and I also know that it terrifies artists because all we want is security where you're safe in your artistic yeah. place. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit about when you're feeling like your feet aren't touching the the bottom? Yeah, I mean for years, I mean my my I felt that even as a, as a composer, uh, I was going for the, the comfort zone for about 15 yeah. years. And only in the last five years, I pushed myself, um, sort of stuff happened personally. And I thought, and I had this wake up call and thinking, why am I doing what I'm doing? You know, why am I always going for the, for the easy mm -hmm. option? You know, I think, well, I'll go for the, the, um, the money or the, you know, the security, even as a composer, mm -hmm. because what I do for a living is incredibly precarious uh, as a freelancer. And I, and I sort of reached a point where I thought uh, I became a BAFTA breakthrough Brit. Is yeah, kind of we haven't even touched on your, the awards that you've had. Uh, I'm going to need another six hours. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is going to be a long podcast. So after, after 20 years of working in the, in the industry, I broke through. So my career is a, is a series of breaking through, you know, always mm -hmm. having lucky sort of lucky breaks but there's no I don't believe in luck there's no such thing as luck but but breaking through mm -hmm. all the time and I started taking on projects that I was actually terrified of taking on and I think that's yeah. really that's really important for yourself for your growth as a, yeah. as a human being and I was sort of discovering myself and more and more and 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 it's that that wonderful thing that David Bowie said you know that I try to put myself into uncomfortable situations in when I'm taking on a project I'm slightly mm -hmm. out of my depth I, I give the impression that I know what I'm doing but <laughs> I don't quite know what I'm doing only up to right. a certain point I mean I'm never totally out of my depth otherwise I would set myself up for failing but if right. I'm if I'm feeling on the edge or on a project and I'm slightly I wake up and I have this horrible feeling in the pit of my stomach thinking, I don't know how to write music. And I, on, on mm -hmm. every project, I'll start something. I go, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know how to write music. I sort of gravitate towards that insecurity. And it's, it's good mm -hmm. for me because out of that, I will produce my best work. Oh, you're, when you're writing music you're bearing your soul to the world you're you're i'm making myself very opening myself up to being exposed a fraud and also mm -hmm. being quite vulnerable every time i write a piece of music i'm 
I'm opening myself up to criticism because ultimately I have to fulfill mm -hmm. the director's vision and at the same time find a way of finding my own creative voice and putting it into that into that score into that uh, project mm. so I think it's important no pressure huh yeah yeah I, I mean I, I thrive on I totally thrive on pressure but you know the, the good stress <laughs> good the good stress you know oh yeah what does that look like tell me more about the good kind of stress you know, I, I did this project uh, about four or five years ago, and I was asked to write uh, a musical for the BBC, and the deadline was uh, five weeks. Two o'clock in the morning, I'd be crying myself to sleep, thinking, why am I doing this? I need to bail yeah. out. I almost quit the, quit the project. And, um, yeah. and we got through it and I, I went to India and I filmed with the, with the crew and the team and it was this big extravaganza of working with, they say never work with children and, uh, and animals, you know, I was, I was working with all of yeah. that <laughs> monsoon in India. Is this Mumbai High? It's Mumbai, Mumbai High, yes. And uh, it's the yeah. most challenging project I've ever done, but the, also the yeah. most personally satisfying and the most heartwarming project that I'd ever worked on um children teenagers in the slums of Mumbai and uh, and and also it was it was a way for me to to come home in a funny kind of way because I mm, pushed I my culture away um yeah. uh, I was in you know rebelling against my my Indian roots and it took me a long time to come to terms with it this project came to me and uh, and I was offered it and I embraced it and I thought it's about time I took on this challenge and uh, I mm. mean for example I had to write uh, lyrics in five I've never written songs and I was asked to write eight songs uh, I've, in five I, weeks yeah I, I only speak English even though I understand Gujarati my my mother tongue I was asked to write this in five different languages Urdu Marathi wow. Hindi uh, Gujarati and and English so so all the odds were stacked against me and I think it was a, it was like a, a yeah. baptism yeah fire. and and since then I, I sort of realized that um you know that's why I always return to the David Bowie quote of uh, into, it's like standing at the bottom of a swimming pool uh, where your feet are not quite touching the ground and um yeah. and you're just about keeping your head above water and and yeah. that's where you can create really exciting work exciting things yeah i mean it feels like you have developed not only the skills to create exciting work at that time but you've also developed like you know the resources around you because i think taking leaps like that are way easier when you've got people like Malcolm and, and the knowledge of, you know, you've got a, a wall of awards that give you faith that you've done this before, you can do it again. Yes, to all of that. But I also think that it then brings with it other pressures. And it can get, right. yeah. you know, fame that comes to people very early on in their careers is not always a very healthy, it doesn't make yeah. for a healthy person. I think when fame or success comes to you after after you've slogged away for for years uh, is um, well deserved, I think. And, you know, that's it's well, a good thing. And successes and awards are great. But I think there are even more pressures that come with that. 
Uh, it's like an artist yeah. that has created a hit album, number one debut album, or a debut yeah. uh, feature film, and then you have to follow it up with the next yeah. one and the next one. Yeah. So I think when... when I think that's artist's lament. You're only as good as your last creation, you yes. know, and you might yeah. be doing hit after hit after hit, and then you have one that's not so great, and people are like, ah, she's not that great. That's right, yes. I'm very grateful for everything I have in that I I thank we've only just had Thanksgiving I, I think but but I am very thankful for what I have but I but I'm also mm -hmm. one to not ever rest on my laurels and I'm mm -hmm. self-growth and pushing myself um on with every project I do just a delight talking with you. I just have so enjoyed hearing your thoughts and finding out where where you come from as a composer, but as an artist and as a human being. It's just, honestly, I, I say this all the time, but I really mean it. I could really talk to you all day. Thank you. I have to, but I have to wrap it up. Producers will be like, what is she doing? This is the longest podcast we've ever had. I'm gonna ask you some firecracker questions at the end to wrap it up. And these are questions I ask everybody. Are you ready? Oh my gosh, no, I'm not ready. Oh, they're really easy. And here's the clue, you can't be wrong. Okay. Okay, um, fill in the blank. To me, a firecracker is? Naomi, what are you doing to me? I'm so bad oh. at, I'm bad Oh, at I love it. You're, you're, at, you're in over, the, the water's here. The water is here, up here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, to me, a firecracker okay, is someone who's true to themselves and and honest and authentic independent you got it right um perfect what do you want to be best known for nanita someone who's um has integrity you know i like to give back it's important for me to be a role model for for the future generation of composers out there mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um what's two words to describe your present state of mind joyous it's it's been cathartic actually i think yeah cathartic i love it i love it i just saw your thought process find these things it's a delight um what's something that people don't know about you what you see is what you get with me actually mm -hmm. i i yeah you know, i i wear my heart on my sleeve a lot yeah yeah, I can see that. I can truly see that. Um, what's something that you haven't done yet, but you know you have to do in your lifetime? Own a dog. <laughs> that's one thing. Yes, that's a great answer. If you want to own, I, I'd love to have a dog. Um, I, I always love to do like a little pay it forward. Do you have somebody who's a firecracker in your life right now that you can give a shout out to? Somebody that might be a new composer that we can shine a light on? I, I would like to shout out to the um, the Alliance of Women Film Composers in um, based in the UK and in America. Um, yeah. There are several hundred um, female composers who are part of the community, and um, and and you know, so I'm very proud to be a part of that. And Prime Time is another one, and Free the Work um, mm -hmm. is a, another organisation, and of course, Women in Film and TV. I think I'm so proud mm -hmm. to be affiliated with, with all of them. What advice would you have given to your younger self, a 10 year old Nanita? Believe in yourself. 
I had that uh, I had that imposter syndrome, and uh, I waited a long time um, to go with my gut instinct, to follow my gut instinct. So, um, yeah, be- believe in mm-hmm. yourself in in the truest way, uh, and um, and just go for it. Don't don't let anything stop you. So, um, but I, I did that anyway. So I guess it's uh, you know. Yeah. Learn to read yeah. music. I didn't you took have, your own advice. I, I didn't have a degree in music, mm-hmm. and uh, and for years I I wanted I felt felt that I should um, have a degree in music. So uh, so yeah, learn music theory. <laughs> that's right. Everybody, regardless of what your passion is, just learn music theory. <laughs> well, that's that's advice. For well, myself. I have to ask you. That's my advice. Yes, I, I have to ask you. Because I know you play like the guitar and the sitar and the piano and the tabla and yeah, look at all those great. Which which is the instrument that you feel most yourself playing? Um, the most myself. Uh, actually, the the keyboard, the the piano. I also have this other instrument. Uh, this thing here. This is called a handpan. Oh, what? So I have all this technology. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, it's a great. Gorgeous. It's called a handpan, and it's um, it's very tactile, and I have all. I'm surrounded by technology, and it can yeah. be a very sterile environment to be in. And what's great about my handpan, my it's called a halo. Uh, it was made for me. Is that it's very therapeutic and very um it's, it's like a meditative kind of instrument to play. i was gonna say yeah i'll walk past it and i'll just pick it up and start playing it and um and it uh and it if i'm going through any kind of uh stress you know it'll it'll sort of just instantly calm me down so it's my it's my kind of therapy um it's 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 all touchy-feely and i think that's you know yeah I um guitars and wooden instruments because they're made they're salt of the earth they're made from mm. made by hand and uh and so i think combining that with technology i think is my is my comfort zone um perfect uh i hope that one day i'll be in london and i can take you out for a tea or a pint or something um to, <laughs> and to see you in person I was in um, Toronto last year with Forsama, which is how I met Winnie. Okay. Um, yes. And, um, and then this year I was meant to be in Toronto with uh, The Reason I Jump, which is an amazing film that I've scored that's going to be released in the US in uh, January and in the UK in April. And it's about nonverbal autism. Uh, it's based on this bestseller book called mm. The Reason I Jump, and it's just a beautiful film, uh, which I highly recommend anyone to see. It's very multi-sensory and immersive. I have to say that I'm not a composer, but you have inspired me uh, artistically as well with this discussion. It's it's such a, a pleasure. I think you're so fantastic. You talk about giving back to your community. I think you're doing that so much. And uh, I can't wait to share your voice and your thoughts with our community. What an absolute treat. Oh, I just loved, I mean, this is one of those interviews that could have been two parts because I loved talking with her and I watched the clock and I went, oh no, it's going too fast. I want to slow down and talk about all the things. 
we'll just have to have her back. That's all there is to it. And I respect her work so, so much because again, she doesn't just stay in one path. She diversifies and she also lends a hand wherever she can. And I just, I'm, I have so much admiration for that. Anyone who's worked on a creative project knows that the music is one of the hardest things to get right. And Nanita just gets it right every time. When you find the right piece of music, it's just like some sort of beautiful, it's chemistry. I mean, when's the last time that you were watching a movie and music just struck you and it's because the composer put it all together in this beautiful chemical creation. You can also find Nanita on her Twitter at Nanita Desai, on Instagram at Nanita underscore Desai, or just give her a search on Spotify. I mean, she's all over the place. We'll have those links, including her music, in our show notes, so go check them out there. Next week on the podcast, I talk with TV writer Emily Schmidt. Oh, stay tuned for this one. This is going to be great. Emily is part of Chicks with Scripts in Los Angeles, which is an amazing organization that supports female and non-binary writers to write more and get into rooms. Go check them out, Chicks with Scripts. She was a staff writer on No Good Nick for Netflix and worked with the one and only Kay Cannon, firecracker extraordinaire on Girl Boss and Hilarious Blockers, which you can now see on Netflix. Oh, it's all there for you folks. It's all there. Next week is going to be so amazing, but every week is amazing with Firecracker Department. Am I right? Let me know what you thought. Tell me which Firecracker episodes resonated with you and why. What clicked for you? What made you laugh? What made your heart sing? What made you stop and go, Oh, I never thought of it that way. I hope you're all being good to yourself this year. Make sure you look in on yourself. Make sure you take care of your body, mind, and spirit. And then when you've got energy, make sure you take care of each other. Can I just take a moment and just give a huge shout out to the production team that puts the Firecracker Department podcast out there and into your ear holes. That's Sydney Nielsen and Winnie Wong. Boy, they work so hard and they contribute so much. They make sure that there are diverse guests. Sid writes beautiful intros and edits magically. Uh, you know, if you have anyone to thank, thank those two people because they are extraordinary and this podcast would not happen without them. It just wouldn't. They also do all this stuff with jokes, love, laughter, and a lot of references to RuPaul's Drag Race, which I appreciate. Thanks, Sid. Thanks, Vinny. You're the best. Like I always say, there's space for everyone within the Firecracker Department. And if you're not already part of our Facebook members group, why not? There's tons of stuff going on over there. That's our central hub for connecting with the Firecracker community and where all our event reminders, conversations, and connections happen. Uh, like, are you an actor or a writer? Because we have the script department and writing department as well. Weekly, the writing department posts a prompt on Mondays so that you can do that anytime. Plus, we do a little writing gym with bursts so you don't even have to prepare anything. We do that on Zoom every Thursday. Come and join us over there. Every Sunday, we host a community brunch on Zoom so that new and current firecrackers looking to meet other creative people like you can hang out and connect. And it's always really fun. We drink coffee. We often wear our pajamas and have bathrobes and that's the way it rolls. We always want to know what you're doing and how we can help you move forward creatively. There's a lot going on and there is a department and a seat for everyone at the firecracker table. Come find yours, share your voice with the world and connect with your people. Stay in the loop with everything I just threw at you by subscribing to our newsletter at firecrackerdepartment.com. Big, huge, 
ginormous thanks to my whole team. I'm throwing my arms up. Ginormous! Everyone who's in Los Angeles, Toronto, Vancouver, New York, and all the way over in the UK. Thanks to all our core members for everything that they do online and off to make this community, this firecracker department growing into what it is becoming, which is so important to me. And from what I'm hearing from the feedback, it's important to you too. So thank you. Big thanks to Jeff Militinovic and Igor Karila for our theme music. We love it. And thanks to you. Yeah, you, the one listening right now, for taking the time to listen because we know there's a lot of options out there and we so appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'm Naomi, and we'll see you next time on the Firecracker Department. <laughs>